Thank you, Mr. Newland. I'll, I'll also note that you finished a, a minute early, which I think is, is a historic moment, not for you in particular, but just generally speaking. Um, Dr. Hogan, um, we, as you know, expanded the DOE's tribal energy loan program in the IRA to get tribes access to low cost credit, but tribes are being turned away if they receive some grant funding for the project and need the DOE loan to cover the remaining cost. Why? You know, under our loan guarantee program, there are provisions against something called double dipping. This is something we'd be happy to work with you further on uh, so that we can... Hold on a second. Provisions. Provision. Is a rule? It is in statute. Yes, it's in, it's, there is a rule uh, that has been provided uh, from Congress that does not allow the use of certain type of federal funding in two different ways for the same project. There are ways that we have been working to get through these types of things in terms of how you define a project. We can guide uh, the Indian tribes into how to structure things like that, but we would really enjoy uh, sitting down and working with you on, on sort of better ways that we can navigate this and improve the access to the tribal loan program. Go ahead, if he was advising you. What, that I, it's explicitly in the IRA, yes. That the, 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 the constraints in which we are working through are explicitly in the Inflation Reduction Act. Let, let me ask you a question the other way. Um, because I have, a, you know, I have a bill of particulars, right? We, we gathered it from, from Indian country, Native Hawaiian organizations, and Alaska Native organizations. And I, I just want to stay at the conceptual level here, right? Because I don't have access to all the statutes, and I left my law degree in the car, so would you agree that not all of the impediments that are being presented to Indian country in particular in terms of participating in these programs are either in rule or statute, but some of them are customs, procedures, practices, sort of um, muscle memory about who you provide resources to and who you don't, and not kind of understanding the unique configuration of tribes. I'm just to give you an example, the requirement that S&P, for instance, do a credit worthiness analysis of, of a tribe who's got land and trust. Now, if you're, if you're a big nation and you've got lots of land and lots of casinos, you can go to S&Ps and get, you know, and get, a, and get a, a AAA rating. But a lot of these tribes, and by design, we decided to push this money out to small communities, to rural communities. So to ask them to, what, get a bunch of lawyers, go to Wall Street, do a present. I mean, you know, I was in state government. You go up to Wall Street and you say, here's our, you know, here's our balance sheet, here's our collateral, and look how creditworthy we are, and can you give us that AAA rating so we can borrow it? Nobody can do that if they're a small tribe. And so I guess the broader question I have for you is, can you at least concede that some of the problems are on your end and not solely the pro a new problem for Congress to solve because the frustration here, right, is that you've asked us for multiple things and we keep doing the things that you ask us for and now you're telling me, well, if you want that problem solved, you need to change the statute again. If you need that problem, what problems are yours that you need to fix? Uh, let me be clear. Can we do a better job? We can always do a better job. In what ways? Uh, well, first, 
let's just get a little bit more of the landscape uh, mapped out with regard to the Tribal Energy Loan Guarantee Program. Uh, it has been on the books for a number of years. The direct uh, funding need was real, but when it was first put in place, it was put in place for a year. We did not get much interest uh, from the people that would take advantage of that when you only have a one-year runway given, as you know. I get, I get it. So that's why we fixed that. So yes. my question is so a now, more general. Hold on. Okay. My, my question is just a more general one. Let's just pretend it's the two of us talking about this. What do you guys need to fix? Well, right now, we are uh, implementing what you have given us as this new tool, which is a great new tool, which is the permanence of the direct funding that goes with this. As I've said, we've done close to 300 outreach uh, engagements with tribes. We have four projects in the pipeline now that are real. We have several more that we believe are in the sort of pre-application stage. We are assisting the tribes in numerous ways from the pre-application stage. Okay. I hear you. So, so hold on. We actually believe, given that the IRA was put in place with this more permanent place as of last August, and the complexity of these projects, they are complex, that we are getting some great examples through the program right now, which we are committed to get through and get in place so that you can turn around and really have good models okay. for more so, tribes and more tribes. So I, so I hear you, but I'm just going to ask the question one final time. Is there anything that you think that the Department of Energy ought to fix? Just name one thing that you guys think you're not doing well enough on that you need to do better. Or is it that all of the tribal organizations and native organizations and my staff and everyone that, I heard, that I'm hearing from has just got it all wrong? You guys are doing this perfectly, and to the extent that there's an implementation problem, all you need is new statutes, more money, or it's DOI's fault, or it's the White House's fault, it's someone. So what, just name one thing that you well, think you should fix. Please don't misinterpret me as saying that we're doing everything perfectly. Right, so give me an example of We are of out there work working on. to engage. Can we engage more? Can we engage more often? Absolutely. Can we try to connect the dots uh, and help more uh, tribes? I'm actually trying to bail you out here. I'm trying to offer you <laughs> an off-ramp where you can say, look, I think we haven't done this particular thing as well as we could, and we're going to work on it. But you can't give me a specific example of anything that you think you should fix that doesn't require someone else to take action first. And so I would just like an example of something I, you need to work on. We are, uh, you know. <laughs> Senator Cortez Masto, happy birthday. Uh, oh, uh, uh, no, no, that's fine. Oh, okay. Happy birthday, and uh, you're a witness. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Let, let me follow up because as an attorney, I am curious, what is the double dipping provision in the IRA? Do you have specifically the statute that prevents a tribal community from um, getting a loan as well as a grant for the same energy? What, what's that provision? Do you have that specifically? Yeah, there is a provision in the Inflation Reduction Act uh, that says that the, the funding that is provided to tribes um, cannot also take a, a, 
can uh, access the, the funds that are provided in, in other ways. So we so can I, get you that Please provision. provide that to me because I don't think that was not the intention when we passed the Inflation Reduction Act. And if, if the attorneys are interpreting it that way, I would like to see it as well. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Let me ask you, because I, I think we are all in agreement. This is such an important issue for our tribes to get the money out there to them in a manner that they can uh, receive it. And I, they have challenges, technical assistance challenges, staffing challenges, uh, so many others. And, and we are hoping that, that both of your agencies are providing that information um, to the tribes, but also educating them about what's available. So that's the first question I have is, are you educating them and what type of education and outreach are you doing for our tribes across the country to make sure they are aware that this is happening? and these monies are available? And then two, is it a workforce is issue? Do we need to understand that you have a staffing issue, uh, that uh, th these are new programs, um, uh, additional money that is out there? Is it a staffing issue for your agencies to be able to do the outreach and, and talk to uh, our tribal communities, native communities across the country? So let, Dr. Hogan, let me start with you, and then I'll, I'll um, go to uh, Mr. Uh, Newland. So we, um, so, so thank you for that. You know, Bill and Ira did give the Department of Energy close to $90 billion uh, to put to work with a fair amount of that uh, to uh, go, you know, either eligible to or formula to uh, tribal country. Uh, so as one can imagine, there is a staffing uh, uh, effort that we are going through to staff up and be ready uh, to field and support and, and provide TA and do outreach uh, around that flow of money. You know, and, and much of the money that we are putting out the door, it really isn't through formula. It is, by, it is through the design and then the fielding of competitive solicitations, which takes a fair amount of work to go out and consult and engage and figure out how to do it right. We believe that um, we're working very hard to balance the urgency of the need uh, with getting it right, uh, because you do need input from the stakeholders on the ground uh, in the design phase of all of this work. That said, um, as we sit here today, we have staffed up quite considerably, I would say, at record pace uh, for uh, what the challenges that we have and the work that we have to do. And we've engaged sub really substantially in outreach in tribal country around each of the major provisions uh, that we engage with them on, from the grid resilience uh, provisions to, as I highlighted earlier, the electrification rebates provisions where we're consulting now. And we've done that uh, any number of ways, by being at tribal conferences, uh, by, by webinars that are targeted regionally, uh, by uh, broad uh, tribal consultative events, uh, we've been actively uh, engaging, doing outreach really from, from day one. And I think the other great asset that's at the Department of Energy that goes beyond the bill and the IRA work is our Office of Indian Energy, which you all have supported tremendously over the years and continues to grow in terms of what it can deliver on the ground uh, with outreach and helping tribal uh, entities get ready for what these other um, opportunities are. Uh, it's been, you know, growing in budget and people as well, providing no-cost technical assistance for tribes to uh, think through the types of projects that make sense on their ground and put them on the, in the driver's seat 
uh, relative to these uh, other opportunities they have. I've only got so much time left, and Assistant Secretary Lund, same to you. Staffing issues, if you have any, and then what type of outreach are you providing? Thank you, Senator. Um, you know, uh, we do face staffing challenges in the BIA, but uh, a lot of that is, uh, you know, uh, to go back to the Chairman's question about what can you do better, um, hiring faster is, is a, a challenge that we face, and I know it's common across federal agencies, so it's not necessarily uh, a funding issue. But that's one of the reasons why uh, we've elected with our electrification program to use the 638 contract as the vehicle because we have the staffing in place to move those funds and there's a well-worn path. Uh, when it comes to outreach to tribes, you know, one of the frustrations actually that, that I've heard uh, without uh, I'm not being facetious is some the tribes say that sometimes they get too much consultation from us or, or that it's, they're getting flooded with these notices. And so we've tried to tailor our outreach to tribes to account for that and, and uh, in instances like this do direct outreach with our regional staff uh, rate right to tribes, particularly for, for a program like this in Alaska, um, at Navajo Nation in the Southwest where we know there's a higher concentration of tribes with unelectrified homes. Vice Chair Murkowski. Thank you. So, um, Secretary Newland, or, or to you, Dr. Hogan, um, just with regards to this outreach, um, because I, I, I do think that this is something where sometimes the agencies just expect the, the, the tribes to come to them. And, and, and again, you, you got incoming, um, uh, you, you, you've got so much coming at you that you can't sort through it to know. And, and it is, it's, it's not, uh, not straightforward most of the time. Um, you know, one of the, one of the challenges that we have in Alaska, just as it's difficult to get things in, you got to fly barrels of, of fuel in at the end of, of winter, um, it's equally difficult to get things out. And so I think sometimes people go out to rural Alaska and they're just kind of like horrified at what they view as junk, um, you know, broken down snow machine. But the fact of the matter is, is that broken down snow machine is, is like your Napa auto body store right there because I'm going to need these parts for something else. Um, but we also have things like batteries out there, things that we really don't want to have sitting out there. So how can we do more when we, when we think about recycling? Um, and we, we've got some, some opportunities, I think, within the, uh, uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law. Um, you've got opportunities for, for partnering with tribes in batter, battery, certainly recycling grants, but how, how realistically are we getting to the tribes to share with them that these are opportunities to take advantage of? Because we're looking at some appropriations requests right now um, where we're trying to help with this whole backhaul effort because you've got to get the stuff out. Somebody's going to gain an advantage of that, but it may as well be the tribes. But how are we doing that outreach? Thank you, uh, Vice Chair. So uh, again, at, within the Bureau of Indian Affairs, you know, we have uh, uh, the general Deer Tribal Leader letters that we issue, uh, but I've, I've been on the receiving end of those and, and they come, several of them uh, come a day, it seems like, and, and so we try to follow that up with calls. And in so you don't consider that outreach, do you? 
It's, it's a part of it. It's, a, it's an important part of it. I, in Alaska, uh, in particular, uh, we also rely on our regional office staff to call tribal leaders directly and also consortia uh, and other partner organizations to help get the word out on things like uh, what you're discussing. Uh, and in this administration, uh, particularly going back to uh, the ARP and the bipartisan infrastructure law, we've also assisted partner agencies um, in doing that outreach directly uh, because a, a, a lot of tribes um, at the staff level have uh, familiarity with our staff and they may not recognize the number calling from another agency or they may not recognize the person and so, so uh, we've also uh, opened our doors to our colleagues at other agencies to assist in that outreach and, and you know, we'll continue to do so. Let, let me ask you, Dr. Hogan, I know we're focused on Inflation Reduction Act, the bipartisan infrastructure law, but um, we, we implemented the Energy Act of, of 2020 and laid some groundwork for improving tribal access to the energy programs um, there. And we did a couple things for tribes and, and ANCs in particular. First, the Act lowered the cost share requirements to 10% for grants and technical assistance uh, programs in DOE, Office of Indian Energy. And then we also expanded the definition of tribal lands to include ANCSA lands. So now that DOE has pretty substantial financial resources for technical assistance grants under the bipartisan infrastructure law, do you anticipate that there's going to be greater use of the reduced 10% cost share requirement? Yeah, I think we are looking at uh, continuing to use uh, that cost share uh, reduction opportunity for the type of work that we are doing there. Uh, I mean, a lot of that is the formative uh, technical assistance that tribes need to get organized around uh, how they want to think about their energy future. Uh, and certainly we want to be able to meet as many tribes as possible uh, well, where, where they are. And, and if you've got greater resources, it would seem to me reasonable that this would certainly free that up. Would you not agree? Absolutely. And then can you assure me that the Alaska Native Corporation ANCSA lands will absolutely be covered by the DOE programs? they will be covered wherever uh, we can. I know there's a, a little bit of... Well, let me, let, me just, let me just clarify, because we did expand the definition of tribal lands to include ANCSA lands. Yes, uh, in uh, the Energy Policy Act of 2020. So wherever the statute supports it, we're there, right? Um, so I know that there is an issue with our... Uh, grid resiliency provision in terms of whether it can go to any entity other than directly to a tribe and we're trying to work through what those issues are including helping them understand how to go and use third parties uh, to help them get their work done but there's still a little bit of um, I don't know a, a unnecessary complication there in, in well, our minds. And I would just suggest that there should be no um, unnecessary or necessary uh, complications when we have specifically expanded the definition of tribal lands to include ANCSA lands. We did it. It was pretty clear. There shouldn't be any, any, uh, any ambiguity to it, to us. Uh, that's legislative intent, and it's specified, so it should be easy, and we would expect the DOE to include uh, and absolutely 
cover uh, ANCs um, within those DOE programs. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Smith. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair, um, Vice Chair Murkowski. Um, um, Mr. Newland, I wanted to just uh, acknowledge that with, this, with the support of the Chair and Vice Chair, you came out to Minnesota last summer, I think it was, and we had a field hearing to talk about the opportunities in the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. It was before we passed the um, before we passed the IRA, and I know that Minnesota tribes really appreciated having you there. Um, and we, one of the biggest conversations that we had, topics of conversation we had, was the struggles that tribal nations face, especially smaller ones, trying to figure out how to engage with this octopus of the federal government, um, um, an octopus that often, as it reaches out all of its arms in so many ways, doesn't always understand what it's reaching out. Two, which is tribal nations that have their own, you know, their, their way of doing things. Um, I thought we had a really good conversation there. We talked about um, the needing for, you know, the, the kind of all of the needs that Minnesota tribes have to try to participate in the, in the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. So I'm wondering, maybe take this a little bit of a different way. Could you just describe if there's anything that you learned from that experience or other similar conversations you've had that have you know, caused you to, you or others in the agencies to change the way you do things in order to make the implementation of these bills work better for tribal nations. Thank you, Senator. Uh, you know, it, it, it was just the other day I, I, I had to call a, a different large organization and I was getting uh, passed from person to person or told, uh, now call this person at this department and I think everybody understands how maddening that is. And, yes. And it, Particularly and, if you're a small organization, correct. you don't have big grant writing departments, correct. you don't, you know, right. And so it, it's, it's particularly maddening with your trustee when you're a tribe. And so uh, one of the things that, this, uh, that the president um, did early on when he came into office was to reconstitute the White House Council on Native American Affairs. And we meet regularly across agencies. In fact, just before I came to this hearing, we finished our monthly staff meeting. And one of the things we try to do, we're not perfect yet, but we try to do is to make sure that there's no wrong door uh, to the federal government, mm -hmm. that there's no wrong number. And so if folks, uh, a lot of times uh, folks call the BIA and they say, I need to get a hold of somebody at the Department of Energy. Um, and, or they'll call IHS and ask for somebody at the Department of Labor. And so what we've tried to do through the White House Council is to make sure that we're all communicating regularly and that we can um, pass people along to the right person, even if it's, they're not, you know, we don't want that, it's not my job mentality. Right. And it's especially important when we're talking about the funding investments that Congress has made in these laws in the timelines associated with them. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to do. Um, we heard it when we were in Minnesota, and, and we, we hear it all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. And I want to touch on something else you mentioned. You talked about how uh, BIA is using the 638, uh, your 638 contracting authority, which is the self-governance um, process that works. Um, could you talk about how you think 638 authority might help other agencies to work more efficiently and effectively with tribal nations? Um, absolutely. Thank you, Senator. I, I think that that's a, that is an authority that um, we've had a lot of practice at the BI over a half century now with that, but it's, it's, 
the, the concept is new to other agencies, but it really ensures that tribes have the flexibility to take these funds and design how they're used at the ground level. Right. And uh, it also comes with contract support costs oftentimes, which helps with the staffing and the capacity at the tribal level mm -hmm. to make sure program dollars aren't swallowed up in the staff. And the third thing is, is that it allows the money to move very quickly mm -hmm. uh, once you have the agreements in place. Right. And so uh, that, uh, rather than a competitive grant process, that's a way to, to make sure these funds get to tribes, allow them to design how they're used on the ground, uh, support their own capacity, and it gets it done quickly. Thank you. I'll just um, mention, Mr. Chair, that I think that there's opportunity for us to make improvements and expand 638 authority to other agencies. But let me just close. Um, Dr. Hogan, I want to just say, I'm not, I'm, I don't have a question for you, but um, I've had a lot of experience since I've come to the Senate working with federal agencies and trying to act myself as a bit of a translator between what tribes are trying to accomplish and what they encounter with federal agencies. And to what Senator Schatz was saying, um, I've, I, I, and I'm not speaking even directly about the Department of Energy. I have often run into the experience of like people speaking two different languages. And I have to also say that I have found in some agencies, and again, I'm not even speaking of the Department of Energy, like an unwillingness to speak the language of the tribes. I'm not talking about literally, I'm talking about, you know, directly, so that problems can be solved. And this is what I think Senator Schatz is discussing and trying to bring out. Like, there are, you know, you have explicit authority, and then there are ways of solving problems that you can work on if you try to understand what the issues are. And um, I have had many experiences of talking with federal agency folks who will say, I don't have explicit authority to do that, and therefore I cannot solve this problem. And that is incredibly frustrating because it often feels as if there are, those problems are solved in other places in other ways. And so in response to Senator Schatz's frustration, which I also feel, um, we should be working together to try to figure out how we can solve some of these problems without looking for statutory changes um, that, um, that mean that we enter into another cycle of, um, of um, honestly, you know, frustration for people who feel that because of our trust and treaty, um, you know, relationships with these tribal nations, we should be in a position from the get-go of um, meeting people's needs. No, thank you very much for that. Um, and again, I, I think we are trying to uh, hear from the stakeholders on what their issues are. And I think, you know, over the last um, number of months, we have executed on any number of things that you would not have found the department doing five years ago, say. So, uh, so if we hear of a problem that we think we can be creative around within our statute and solve it, we are doing it. As we've said, we're putting on, we're, we've got application templates to streamline it. We're putting, uh, you know, mail-in applications in place. We're using the prize authority you all gave us years ago in a way to have very low burden ways to help um, communities move forward and execute, develop plans and execute on plans. So again, we, we are, we really want to hear what it is you're hearing so we can continue to uh, figure out creative solutions to these things. Dr. Hogan, um, I want to give you a hypothetical. A tribe 
has a $25 million energy project. They get $10 million in grant money. They can round up $5 million on their own. And they want to make up the remaining delta, the last $10 million, with a loan program. Now, my understanding of this law preventing so-called double dipping is to say, you tribe, you entity, cannot get paid twice for the same thing. Not that you're not permitted to have multiple sources of federal funding. So when you do a housing project, you might have a capital stack that includes a community service block grant, a community development block grant, and a LIHTC, right? And then you might end up with, I don't know, Section 8 vouchers, tons of federal funding coming in. That's not double dipping. Double dipping is you get the same dollar amount to cover the same cost twice, right? And what we are hearing is that this prohibition on double dipping is being interpreted in an extremely punitive way, in an extremely restrictive way that is unique to this situation. And I would just ask, to the extent that it's colorable, to the extent that this is a close call, that if you got the Committee on Indian Affairs here saying, that's not what we meant when we said don't double dip. What we said is, you can't get a 10, let's say it's a $10 million project, and you get a $10 million loan and a $10 million grant. You can't do that. But if you're just creating a capital stack, every municipality does that. States do that. Nonprofits do that. The for-profit sector does that. And so to the extent that it's colorable, all I'm asking you to do is to go back and huddle with your lawyers and try to make a determination about whether the statute is clear. Because I have some pretty good experts here on Indian law in particular, and they think that although your interpretation is plausible, it's not the only one that you could have arrived at. And there is a basic principle in Indian law, when it's a close call, you interpret the law to the benefit of Indian country. And I don't see that happening here. I'd like your thoughts. We're happy to take that back and take another look. I think we like to believe that we too, when there is ambiguity, uh, that we solve that ambiguity to, in a way that benefits the people that the law is there to benefit. So we are happy to take that back, take another look, and uh, come back and talk with you. Thank you. Senator Lujan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to our Vice Chair for this hearing and to our panel for being with us today. Um, Dr. Hogan, like you, and I hope like everyone in this room, I am very concerned about the lack of basic utilities for too many brothers and sisters across the country. Um, friends that don't live far from where I live, um, constituents that I'm honored to represent. Projects where children are asked to draw pictures of where water comes from. And several of those children will show pictures of a pickup truck with a tank behind it or of a loved one having to carry a pail of water from a river. Um, some children will draw water coming from a faucet, but not all of them. Electricity, broadband, wastewater, this just isn't right, not in our incredible country. Um, and, and that's where some of my concerns, um, um, where I'm looking for some, some direction from both of you here. Um, and it starts around the study. It's my understanding that the Department of Energy Act of 2020 to conduct research and report back the status of access to electricity amongst tribal homes is 
why we're here. And my understanding is this report is almost finalized and will be released to Congress soon. Is that correct? Yes? Uh, fairly soon, yes. Um, in a week, in a month, in a year? Less than a year, more than a week. I appreciate that. <laughs> Dr. Hogan, my understanding is that 16,805 figure for the total number of unelectrified tribal homes that the Assistant Secretary Newland noted in his testimony will be in the department's final report. Is that true? I'm sorry, say that again, sir. 1,600, yes. 805 homes that don't have electricity. That, that number will be in the report? It, that number is in the report, yes. Dr. Hogan, my understanding is that this number is based in part on a poll conducted during one of two listening sessions with 217 individuals during the pandemic in 2021. Is that true? It's based on a number of ways that we collect information and piece it together, but we, uh, am, yeah, so we've done a number of things, including asking uh, for people to report in categories, uh, broad categories of what the number of unelectrified homes are, yes. Mr. Chairman, one question I'd like to submit, Alana, to the record is to ask for how data was collected then, since I'm basing my questions on those polls um, to 217 individuals. Um, and it's my understanding that those were conducted, that the polls were conducted virtually? There were virtual opportunities for people to come and talk to us and, and provide information on, that they had on unelectrified homes, yes. And in person? Um, during the pandemic, uh, there were, un there were Dear tribal leader letters, there were any number of ways uh, that the tribes could provide us information over that period of time. Okay, so I'm, I'm looking for how that information was gathered. Because here, here's my concern is that if in fact a large number of this data was collected over a virtual line that requires electricity, and, and the question is how many of you don't have electricity, I'm missing something. It, it's similar to when people come in and tell me, we had a virtual meeting on how many of you don't have broadband. <laughs> no, I can understand your concern, and, and let me, um, and certainly we're happy to explain how we collected this data. Yeah, I appreciate um, that. But, but what you're referring to in terms of these virtual sessions was one of a multifaceted approach to collect the data, including that we get data in every uh, application that the tribes uh, provide to us when they ask, when, when they're applying for things, we ask these questions. So we really had years of data to sort of pull together, and what you're referring to is one of the ways that we try to get uh, a, another lens on the data that's out there. It does turn out, unfortunately, that this is very hard data to collect. Uh, and again, so we're trying multiple avenues to try and piece this together and provide us the best snapshot we can today. But again, can always be improved. And Mr. Chair and Vice Chair, I think this is an area where we should have inquiries with IHS, for example, who does collect data on wastewater. Um, but I've had a terrible time also trying to get accurate data on the number of tribal homes that don't have electricity or don't have broadband. There should be a number so that we make improvements everywhere across the country. I'd venture to say there's more than 1,600, um, 16,800 homes on the Navajo Nation that don't have electricity. I think that's how flawed these numbers are. And I'm very concerned with the amount of investment that's been made across the country that we don't have accurate data to measure from so we can make improvements and progress 
in every corner of Indian country. And while I know my time's expired, Mr. Chairman, um, one thing I hope to explore, well, Mr. Newland, back in 2014, the Bureau of Indian Affairs conducted a rulemaking around a CFR um, 169, is that the number one? I have 172 on my head, on the brain. I think it's CFR 169 that was looking at um, the difference between distribution power lines, transmission power lines, and easements. Um, the CFR requires connectivity um, from an investor-owned utility or cooperative um, into tribal lands, but it also allows for a perpetual easement. The question at the time where um, different tribes and pueblos, uh, they, they were on different sides of the, the rulemaking, but the question was, uh, is there a difference between distribution and transmission? Um, as a former public utility commissioner, my answer to that question would be yes. There's a difference between distribution and transmission. And especially distribution who will get power to the end user. Right, connecting whatever the substation is from the transformer and then providing that path of power um, to connect more tribal households, for example. I don't know what the conclusion was there, if that there was agreement, but it seems to me as we're identifying the number of homes that need to be connected, that we can make investments in to, to make progress and work with leader, um, uh, le le one leader at a time make sure that we respect sovereignty in this space. But if there's other areas like that one easement, that one rulemaking on connectivity that need to be addressed, that all of that be on the table as we're looking to make these improvements with permitting and things of that nature. I don't know if that one rings a bell or if there's something you might have along those lines. And again, thank you for the indulgence, Mr. Chairman. Vice Chair Murkowski. Didn't know whether Assistant Secretary was going to respond to that. Oh, sorry. Please. I can. Uh, Please. Uh, thank you, Senator. Uh, so, so yes, I, I'm not familiar, or I, I don't have the provisions in front of me on the right-of-way regulations, but I'm familiar um, with the discussion. But just generally speaking, on on these types of connectivity things, we've been we've been looking at all of our administrative authorities to speed that process up. Uh, we've got a national policy memo through the BIA to uh, speed up the review of rights of ways. We're uh, looking at all of our categorical exclusions under NEPA that we can use to speed this up. And also we have our general uh, regulatory waiver authority uh, that we're also looking at to speed up this process so that um, those types of rights of way can be done more quickly and, and the money can flow more quickly. I don't know if that's directly responsive to what you're asking. Um, Mr. Chairman, Madam Vice Chair, it's related, but not specific, but I appreciate that information. Look forward to reviewing that as well. Uh, thank you for the time. Thank you. Vice Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Dr. Hogan, a, a couple of final questions for you, and these relate to the uh, Grid Resilience State and Tribal Grant Program um, that has been mentioned. Uh, so the deadline to apply for the first round of funding now has been extended uh, to March excuse me, May 31, um, to give tribes more time to, to apply through non-electronic means, which was good. Are you hearing from tribes that this extended deadline, May 31, is going to be achievable for them? We believe that this is achievable, but uh, we've also um, 
uh, you know, we, we, we will continue to work with them so that they can apply for the dollars uh, that should be going to them. And as you know, this is the um, first two years uh, right. worth uh, of these dollars, and uh, we will be uh, providing, a, you know, additional opportunity for the appropriated dollars to come in the future as well. So we will be continuing to refine these procedures so that they can take advantage well, of the funds. Well, then speaking about refining the procedures, um, uh, of course, you're familiar with the, uh, in, in Alaska, the tribal consortia and how, how they really are, are able to harness economies of scale. Um, we expected to see consortium applications in the grid resilience program um, and other infrastructure programs within the infrastructure bill. My, my staff um, uh, has told me and, and uh, leadership at AFN have told me that they've reached out to your grid deployment office uh, and we're told that you are not awarding these applications to consortia. Now you have other agencies, you've got IHS, you have um, NTIA, the Telecommunications Information Administration, they're also implementing the um, infrastructure law. Uh, they are allowing tribal consortia applications so the question is whether DOE will work with the tribes to award consortium applications and allow them to administer and thus ensure compliance. So this is what I was referring to earlier um, that we're working hard to work through with the, la with the tribes so that uh, they can designate these third-party administrators and they can work on regional projects together within the way that the statute is structured. This statute is structured uh, somewhat differently than the other agency statutes that you're mentioning. Understand what you have just said, and I guess I would just ask you to understand that in, in Alaska, the model um, really has become one of of, of trying to build out these efficiencies, these economies of scale, and that's what these consortia are able to do. They are able to build capacity so that these, these many, many, much smaller and, and, and much less advantaged tribes, they are the most disadvantaged. They are the ones that yes. need it most, and yet they have the least capacity to do it. And so when we're able to come together through this consortia, it makes a world of difference. So, as you are, are working to, to advance this program, please understand that the reason it's, it, they're, they're allowing consortia in, in, uh, through NTIA and through IHS is because this is what works. This is what works and this is what gains the greatest efficiency. And then speaking of efficiency, um, I'm also told that DOE is requiring tribes to issue quarterly reports on the use of these grid resiliency grants. That's tough on your small tribes. Um, tough when you have limited resources and even more limited manpower. Department of Treasury only requires annual reports for most, if not all, tribal programs within ARPA, within the American Rescue Plan. I've been asked to, to be the liaison to you to ask whether or not the department would consider a more reasonable reporting time frame for tribes um, like, like we have done under the American Rescue Plan. Um, it's, they don't think that it makes sense. We're happy to take that back and take another look. Okay, well I, I would encourage you to do that. And then last comment on this is again relating to, to, to cost match. 
Um, I understand that DOE is going to impose a 100% cost match on tribes that elect to build their grid project if their partner utility cannot provide the required 15% cost share. So in Alaska, again, with small tribes, um, uh, it's, it's complicated, but most utilities are also uh, small and simply can't afford the match. But it seems that penalizing a tribe for doing the, the work basically by themselves seems like you're not really working to promote tribal self-determination, self-governance. So I'd ask, again, if you could look into adjusting these cost share requirements before the May 31 deadline. Again, we're, we're happy to get together with you and put our heads together on what these legal issues are that as we see them and as you see them and see what we can work out. Um, this is a place where we've just had a lot and a lot and a lot of conversation uh, in the building um, and just happy to share the, what, we're, um, what we're seeing and, uh, and figure out what we think the options are here. So do you see that there's a legal impediment um, yes. with reduction of the cost share requirement? Yeah, based on, uh, yes, we do. Well, I, I, I would ask that, uh, that our teams sit down and, and talk about this, because as we're talking about it, you've got a deadline that is coming up with opportunities for, for, for grant funding that's going to make a difference to tribes. But we got to get it out the door or it makes zero difference for the tribes. And so if we can resolve some of these things quickly to allow for these applications to be submitted and, again, to, to take advantage of this, that's where we're going to make a difference. So if, if I can ask you to, to have our folks get together as soon as possible, I'd appreciate that. Absolutely. We would love to solve this. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. If there are no further questions for our witnesses, members uh, will submit follow-up questions for the record. The hearing record will be open for two weeks, and I want to thank our witnesses for their time and their testimony today. This hearing is adjourned.